Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Good morning. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago, Illinois. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Right, well, this was meant to be a special episode for us. And in many ways, it still is a special episode for us. Because, uh, this is episode 50, which is the, our first anniversary episode of the Classic Lenses podcast. So uh, just around 12 months ago, uh, we did our, our first episode, uh, which was a bit of a disaster in terms of its uh, recording quality. Um, fortunately, I think things got a little bit better uh, than they used to be. I'm sure they're not perfect, but uh, they're certainly better than they used to be, so, and especially that very, very first episode. So anybody that's actually managed to get through that episode and is still with us, then uh, you know, thank you for your commitment and, uh, and well done. Now, uh, today's show it is not what we planned um and because and i've trailered this as well uh, we were going to have matthew duclos with us of duclos lenses um and we were going to talk cine lenses and uh, and have lots of things to talk about uh, about some very very special lenses as well but i'm not going to go there now the reason is uh, matthew could not be with us today so what we are going to do we're going to <laughs> partially wing it a little bit which is nothing new to us and nothing new to uh, many of you listeners if you've uh, heard the last few shows um, but what we are going to do this is actually going to give us an opportunity to catch up on some of our emails which have been backing up so uh, that's pretty much the uh, the, the main thing of uh, today's show and, uh, and we're going to have a little change as well because uh, Carl is going to do the emails for Johnny because Johnny doesn't feel like it today my, All right. my voice yeah. isn't agreeable. So. Let's just jump into it. Um, first of all, thanks to everyone for listening to us for 50 episodes. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, through all of the mom jeans jokes and talk about warm lenses and all the other crap. It's, it's been wonderful to have such a good audience. And um, yeah, I'm going to do the emails. Um, Johnny... I tried drinking a couple of shots of whiskey this morning early in Chicago, and his voice is still not not quite up to it. He has laryngitis, and um, I'm not as interesting a speaker as he is, but I'll, I'll do the best I can. So let's let's start off with the first one, and this is a um, this is from uh, Guido uh, Petru Cioli. Second mispronouncement. <laughs> See, that's that's the reason that's, I mean, the reason that's the reason why Johnny wanted you to read them today. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Johnny's even better than I am. With, I'm sorry, Guido, if I mispronounced your last name. So here we uh, are, dear Sonny's. Oh wait, wait a minute. This is the wrong email. This is the wrong email. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> dear Johnny, Carl, and Simon, <clears throat> you might have talked about this topic. I hope you won't mind discussing it again in a future podcast. I have a Schneider lens with severe balsam separation and a dinged rim, filter thread intact though. Uh, would it be possible for an amateur with limited technical knowledge to open the lens, remove the separation, and seal all the elements together? Would it be worth sending it probably to Germany to get it fixed? And finally, is there a way of reshaping the lens rim so that it will be able to screw filter threads on it? Many thanks and warmest regards, Guido. So there's multiple questions embedded within that, and maybe we can kind of take them one at a time, you guys, um, if you want to. There's, um, can an amateur open the lens? Can an amateur um, 
fix balsam separation. Can an amateur put the lens back together and have it work? Um, well, if they, if can you send it, to, would it, is it worth sending to Germany? Well, I, yeah. I think the, the the first one there is kind of kind of hammered to take a lens apart, and the answer is absolutely yes. I have taken several lenses apart, and uh, it's that's it's the putting them back together again is the uh, is the where the professionality comes in. Because uh, taking the lenses apart is not that difficult, um, especially if you've got right. the right tools, um, which can be bought quite cheaply as well. Um, but so, so, that, so that one like, we have a hundred percent. I think all three of us. Yeah, I, anyone can take a. I, I used to take apart radios and things when I was a teenager, and um, <laughs> uh, all sorts of electronic things, and look at the, what was inside. So yeah, yes, you could take a lens apart. All right, um, can an amateur uh, fix balsam separation? Would be the next one. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say no. I mean, you can attempt it, but I. I I I don't think any I don't think you're going to be successful at it. Uh, there, I mean, there's a few strategies people have tried that are low impact, such as heating the lens elements and seeing if the balsam re-cements itself. The heating not at you know 500 degrees at <laughs> like a couple hundred degrees, and sometimes the balsam will apparently the balsam glue will soften up enough that the elements kind of re-cement themselves, but that's certainly not guaranteed to work. Right. So, it, yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do it right, you're going to have to take it all the way apart and re-cement it. And, or just put the whole lens into the oven. Well, that too. People have done that too, yeah. Put the whole lens in a oven, and it, sometimes it will work, but it's, you know, I guess you got nothing to lose, right? Well, yeah. The first thing might be what is the what is the value of the lens? I mean, are we talking about a fifty dollar lens here or a five hundred dollar right, lens? Right, right. If it's a fifty dollar lens, then um, buy a new use lens. It, use it. Maybe <laughs> get some maybe get some cool photos that have some different looking effects, um, or, or or just scrap the thing, and get another one. Yeah. Yeah, it's the the method I've I fancied trying uh, one day will be to boil the boil the elements. Um, because we're always talking about a cemented lens um, and I think it's just worth mentioning what balsam separation is because we've just been talking about it for a couple of minutes there but not actually said what it is um, and I haven't actually got a technical answer on this one but it's it's where you have uh, two glass elements uh, which are bonded together and then the adhesive starts to break down and you and you end up with sometimes you get like a um like a rainbow shading and there could be other other effects where the worms <laughs> or worms <laughs> yeah and you get get, get worms and lo lots of lo yeah you can get these artifacts that can appear and generally speaking these these artifacts only show themselves when you're in in like flare shots when you're shooting towards a bright light um, when you're not shooting towards a bright light i don't think balsam separation has any effect um right i stand to be corrected on that but i don't think there's any any uh, issue at all when you're not shooting towards a bright light but the method that i, I fancy is is the boiling method uh i don't know like 10 minutes in boiling water or something like that but i would only ever do that with a, a lens that i'm i'm prepared to sacrifice because i, I think that's going to be the key yeah, if it's a lens that you know it's, it's a very cheap lens and it's it and that you know it is just a cheap lens and if it if it gets uh 
irreparably damaged, then it doesn't matter. Then I'd say give it a go. But something like uh, in Guido's case, when he's got a Schneider lens there, I, I don't think we, actually we don't actually know what Schneider lens he's got there. Actually, right. um, but yeah, it could be yeah. Right. It could be just. But then again, if he's prepared to send it back to Germany, if that's an option for him, then that, that suggests that yeah, it's it's going to be a pretty decent lens. So, um, so from I think from our point of view, is uh, don't don't try it at home, uh, kids. Uh, but um, <laughs> but and if it's uh, if it's it's probably worth asking um, people you know, whether Schneider and Germany are, are capable of actually doing this. Um, it would have been a great question for uh, Matthew Duclos um, uh, today, actually, because I, I imagine he would have some knowledge on this one. So uh, we'll potentially pop that question to him uh, when we when we get him back for a future episode. Yeah, and then we could get back to Guido. And what, the boiling thing is interesting because I, I wonder about what, what would the result be? Could one result be that um, when you're done boiling, you have the two parts separated from each other completely, sitting in the pot or whatever you're boiling in, and then you have to get the. <laughs> so, that might be that might be how how that, that might be the proper way to fix it is to get them apart, and get them clean. Right. Yeah. New, yeah. New, um, I don't know if they use balsam anymore, or whatever they use, and and just redo it. That's the that's the proper way to do it, and that so that. The question that, or the the thought I have about boiling is that um, part of the difficulty with the separation around the edge is that it's actually a physical gap, and I wonder if water getting into that seeping into that gap might not be problematic because one of the, one of the ways that um, savvy lens sellers can <laughs> can hide balsam separation. Is and there's a there's a uh, scientific term for this that perhaps our resident doctor will will know. Um, but it, essentially, what you can do is you can take a a drop of uh, very thin uh, viscosity oil, and the oil will seep into the gap um, along you know the edge of the lens where the separation has happened. That basically renders renders it temporarily invisible, um, and and this apparently. There are stories of this happening with higher-end uh, contacts lenses, apparently, where uh, you know unreputable sellers have managed to hide separation that way. So I wonder if water might have somewhat the same effect. I don't know. You know, I'm just kind of spitballing here. But there is um, it's a scientific, you know, principle where a liquid will seep into a void like that, and it's not yep. gravity. You know, what I'm talking about Carl. Am I just making this up? Uh, it sounds good to me. Okay, great. Uh, approved by Dr. Carl. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not a real, I'm not like a doctor, doctor like I'm on. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Mike, you know, the other kind of doctor. So Yeah, you're, you're yeah, yeah. a smarts doctor. <laughs> Smart ass, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, it's so it's it's possible to fix separation it's just honestly it to do it right it just comes down to how much you want to spend on it and if it's going to cost you know four or five hundred dollars to fix the separation on a lens that you can replace for you know two hundred dollars i don't do the math right well just forget about the balsam separation and just don't point your lens at the light and be yeah that's it there yeah, exactly done with, done with it. Yeah, now the, the, uh, the the reshaping of the lens rim he was interested in, and that that is something that can be done, right? Definitely, yeah, yeah. that's doable. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've have done that quite a few times myself. Um, there's a 
there's a couple ways to do it. One of which is there is a lens reshaping, rim reshaping tool that's essentially a, a vice that fits inside the lens, and you have to kind of slowly, you know, work around um, the ding so that you don't deform the lens in the opposite direction. But it's basically you just you just gradually push the dent out. Um, the other way that I've done it, that kind of low tech way, is you get a, a piece of wood and you drill kind of a round, you know, a round hole in it, and then you you rest the lens in that uh, curvature. And then you use some sort of a, uh, you know, a device. I use a, if you take like a toothbrush, <coughs> excuse me, an old toothbrush and cut the end off it. And you can kind of use it as a, a, a like a, um, a, a chisel almost to tap it, tap it back into shape. Good. Sounds great. Yeah. Very high tech. Yeah. Extremely. Almost like Simon making that lens mount out of a toilet paper tube. We're, <laughs> We're we're, in it, we're we're really in it, we're very innovative on here. We make do with the things that we find around the house. Yeah, sticky and, tape. Uh, we all need sticky tape. Without sticky you can tape. do anything with it. Well, well, let's move on. Let's move on to another one, and um, and we'll get a better answer about the balsam for Guido, and um, and maybe between um, now and then he can send us an email and let us know more about the lens, so we know whether is he talking about a very high end lens where this is worthwhile to do. Okay, so um. Let's go on to um, Jeremy North. He sent us an email on December 27th, and um, the subject title is Context 2A, and he says, Hello, people. Johnny mentioned in the last episode, I'd like to help hello, people. We, we need a name. Like, no, we can't be the sunnies, but uh, what can we be? Like, the wise well, we, asses? We, we, the, well, we are the, the gear, gear acquisition monkeys, if I'm not gear acquisition monkeys. Were we the three something or another in someone's post? I don't remember. Okay. But anyway, uh, Johnny mentioned in the last episode the Context 2A they had for sale in his shop. I have one of these with a Sonar 1.5 lens. I wonder if you could do a segment on the show where you can explain the various iterations of this lens mount and which lenses are compatible with which cameras, be they Context, pre- or post-war Russian versions, and Nikon. I think you've touched on it in the past, but I'm still not clear about yet as there are conflicting opinions you guys are so thorough i'm sure you can give a definitive answer i love your shows you say them that most of your listeners are digital shooters i'm one of the three film only respondents to your recent survey and i feel that your podcast is great for film shooters so keep it as it is regards jeremy nice we did touch on a lot of that before but we've not done a show on it no i think i think uh Johnny's more of a more knowledgeable on on mm-hmm. on this one. Um, uh, Johnny, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm muting myself so I'm not coughing, um, uh, and I'll I'll see how far I can get again here. Um, I, I I my vote is to outsource this question answer episode to our good friend Eric, <laughs> who who is the contacts man. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Short, short of that, um, I think Simon, you just you mentioned, um, well, or I don't know if we mentioned it on the air, but in next week's episode, we have a uh, a noted expert of uh, Nikon rangefinder cameras who will be on the air with us, and he is certainly also knowledgeable about the history of contacts. In in that, it's the progenitor of the mount used by Nikon. So. 
um, maybe we can we can touch on that a little bit. But I think a definitive like here's each contacts model. We could probably run through that, but I, I would love to run through that with a guest who is sort of mm-hmm. uh, deep into the contacts, uh, you know, the contact system. Yeah. yeah, good idea. So real timely, we've got the right person coming on very soon. So yeah, good. All right. So the next one is um, Chris Holland, and Chris is um, asking about a Raynox M42 135mm f2.8 lens, and he says, Hello all, thanks for the nice podcast, good entertainment for people suffering from VLAS like me, uh, a new term, vintage lens acquisition syndrome, I like that, um, blasts, okay, um, I wonder why a brand of excellent lenses is so unknown, I almost never mentioned it on any website except mine, or podcasts or social media groups about classic lenses, I bought it for 10 euro, so he's referring to this um, Raynox M42 135mm f2.8. I bought it for 10 euro from a neighbor who was a former camera shop owner, now retired. He recommended it as a superb lens, but was never able to sell it on flea markets as it is an M42 and a brand so unknown, Raynox. The company with the lens trademark Raynox was founded in 1963 and it still exists, now known for industrial optics and some video lens stuff. See some info, wet and wet watercolor bokeh pictures of my Raynox da, 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 on my website. And then he give, gives a link. Um, I sold my famous Minolta MD-135 2.8 after comparing both. Guess how many Raynox lenses I could now buy for a single Minolta 135. Question to you experts. Why are Raynox lenses with such an unbeatable performance to ratio price so unknown? Still going. And yes... They are sometimes available on eBay. I bought another mint piece recently from a friend for 11 euro, including delivery. It performs the same way as mine. I've also seen Raynox M42 28 2.8 and Raynox M42 135 1.8 called Polaris, but even defect Polaris costs 300 euros or more. I assume Raynox Polaris would be a classic lens beast. Is there a classic lens image rendition characteristic treasure to be discovered named Raynox? Hopefully, I raise your blast disease and interest in Raynox lenses. Chris Holland. Chris Holland at Raynox.com. Thank you, Chris. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no, so everyone run out, buy Raynox lenses. Drive that price up because 10 euros is too low. I, th- I think this is where we have to start typing now. Uh, Raynox 135 millimeter f 2.8 into eBay uh, <laughs> to, to, to see what uh, you get. And uh, uh, while you guys are doing that, um, there are a couple on sale um, as we speak uh, in the, on eBay UK. Uh, the most expensive of which is twenty four ninety nine. Um, where is it now? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's actually one that Chris is trying to sell. Uh, <laughs> Um, um, I don't know it it looks like the username isn't Chris so uh, um, yeah and it's it's an interesting looking lens um, because the first thing when I actually read this I I was there thinking well it's just going to be a branded lens uh, by one of the the many uh, generic um, lens producers uh, in in Japan so I I, so I clicked on it and it looks a little bit different um 
Because sometimes you can look at a lens and you think, oh, that looks like a, a co-mine or a, a Tequina or, or, or something like that. Because they, they do tend to have a bit of a look about them. But I'm looking at this this lens at the moment and it it doesn't jump out at me as being one of the, the usual suspects. And, you know, there's a really good, um, interesting discussion about it on MFL lenses. And... Um... One of our members responded, and um, it's a similar question. Good day. I just got a Raynox 135 2.8 M42. I made a quick test, and it seems way sharper than my Pentacon 135 2.8. It seems rare. Does anyone have one? What's your impression? And Attila, one of our one of our uh, longtime members, responds. Welcome, Gene. The Pentacon 135 millimeter is famous for bouquet, but it's not sharp. So it's not hard to get sharper than 135 millimeter Pentacon. I think your lens is one of the hundreds of no-name Japanese brands, and its value is close to zero. <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> when, 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 when did he write that? Uh, let's just get some context. 2011. There. 2011. Okay. So, yeah, well, most, most lenses, most old lenses, were virtually nothing back then, weren't they? So um, let's, let's we have to bring that one up a little up to date. Nothing now means twenty four pounds ninety nine pence, including postage. I, know, I just I thought it was funny. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it should it should probably be noted that the um, current I, I I guess the way that I know Raynox and if you just do a quick search of this you know online you'll I think you'll you'll find what I'm looking for is that they make um, they make a lot of these kind of wide angle attachment lenses um, right which uh, you know I, I, some of them can be surprisingly good but but it's it's not exactly um, like a, a top tier sort of solution, uh, lens wise. Um, you know, it's, so, it's, so I, so I, I, I think it's one of those things where maybe that you know, the products a company produces can sometimes um, uh, give a cause people to form judgments about the you know what what the quality is of what they make, um, and certainly slap on attachment lenses aren't considered um to be the height of quality generally speaking um I so I, I i don't know i don't know if this is if this is a u.s thing or, or not but um certainly i've i've i view the 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 raynox lenses that uh you know you can you can that like the magnifying lenses so you say that you for for macro yeah. um my understanding of those and the re, and the results i've seen from them have been absolutely superb especially by people that really know what they're doing i, sh I should add um i've seen some in incredible uh close-up photography done done with that with with raynox um attachments so yeah. um i i view raynox as as being a you know, if 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 there are different brands out there, and I'm sure there are doing these things, I I've, I certainly rate Raynox as being uh, very very competent at what they do. They're not uh, one of these companies that um, does this and does a thousand other things and doesn't really care mm -hmm. what they're doing. Yeah, I think they actually they are good at what they do. Um, yeah. Now, this uh, this particular lens, uh, as I'm looking at it now, uh, I'd say it doesn't look like one of the usual suspects, which. Whenever I come to this 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 point where I think I can't really obviously work out who actually made it, um, because none of us are actually suggesting that Raynox as a company made this lens. Which who knows? It might it might be true. Raynox may have made this lens and then it didn't work for them, and then they just they decided to do other things. Uh, that might be that might be the case. So I'll be interested to see if anybody uh, knows any any more about this. Um, but when I look at a lens and I don't recognise what it is, I usually think, oh, I wonder if it's by Sun. 
you know, S U N because they they did some different looking stuff and uh and they made a lot of lenses for a lot of people but they're actually quite difficult to actually track down in the in their own right so uh, they sort of yeah. go underneath the radar a little bit uh, some lenses do so um that's 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 my slightly uneducated guess on that one so the, i think the main answer is we don't know if this is a a lens that was absolutely made by by Raynox or whether it's just a uh, or you know when when this happened what were Raynox back in the day are they effectively the same company as they are now and so on and so right. on and i think the answer is we just don't know um but it's 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 interesting though that this lens performs as as well as Chris says it does, um, outperforming his uh, Minolta, um, which <laughs> I was going to say something bad about that, but I won't. Obviously, I don't want to upset Minolta people. Um, but um, but generally speaking, uh, 135 millimeter lenses. Um, we've said this before. Most of them are very good. Um, in the mm-hmm. same way as most yes, 50 millimeter lenses are very good and you know it's, it's hard to actually find a, a 135 millimeter lens that's a bit of a dog you know it just doesn't it rarely happens so it's yep. it's not a huge uh, surprise to me that this obscure lens performs as well as it does right yeah right good yeah though there aren't any on us ebay right now and i had to go to uk ebay and i see there are two and um, i had that minolta 135 2.8 lens also I, I don't have it. I, I don't. I don't have. I don't have it anymore. But I had it for a couple of weeks. Mm. <laughs> was it? Was it the best lens ever for those couple of weeks? And then, you, then you're tired of it. <laughs> um, uh, no. <laughs> right. Okay. So, all right. On to the next one. Oh, everyone, run off and buy a Rainox lens, and we'll see if they're good. <laughs> but there aren't. There aren't any. Um, <clears throat> hi guys. We re- James Thorpe. James Thorpe, one of our regulars. Hi, guys. Not, woke just, up to not, not just a regular, but he's actually a, a regular contributor via coffee as well. He actually has a, right. a standing order payment uh, set he up does. for us. So um, thank you again, James. Exactly. Absolutely. So, And sorry that we've taken so long to answer your um, answer your email. And um, this was sent on December 26th. And James said, hey, guys, I woke up to find another great podcast in my Christmas stocking. As this year draws to a close, I want to thank you for all you do. I especially enjoyed the large format lens talk this week. I know I've mentioned it before, but I find myself increasingly attracted to the pictorialism style. There's something about the quality of those images that seems to resonate emotionally with me. I've begun to accumulate a small collection of older soft focus lenses. And while there's still a lot I don't understand, I'm having a great time screwing up. May the new year find us all happy, healthy, and wise. I was going to add wealthy, but after listening to your podcast, I'm already feeling the gas-induced debt for 2019. Cheers, James Thorpe. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. We talked about pictorialism in the last episode, didn't we, when we were talking about that um, um, adjustable softness lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the very soft. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I just want to say, I, I've uh, it, it's it's great it's great to have a letter coming in to say that, or an email to come in to say that how we, how interesting it is to talk about large format call. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I think it's just great too. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> gives me time to look on eBay while you're chatting away. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, 
this this uh, email resonates with me, uh, especially when he, he talks about the different ways to, to to screw things up and how enjoyable that process is. I've, I'm going through that exactly that this mo at this moment. Uh, uh, just just so so many things to to learn to understand and and also to just to really really mess up at the moment. In fact, actually, my I'm, I'm not doing any large format at the moment because um, there's a um, there was an article on Emulsif um, back in December, I think early December, mm -hmm. and a guy, I think it's the guy behind uh, the camera dactyl stuff, um, I, I apologise, I forgot his name now, um, but he, he did an article where he makes a shutter, um, a shutter measurement tool uh, using a laser and parts that he's ordered from uh, China uh, via Alibaba. And uh, he's he's done the the code for it, and I think it's Ar Arduino is the uh, the, um, the the little tiny little computer that uh, is used to uh, to control everything, and uh, and he's he's got all the part he put this put part list together, and um, I think the parts just. Uh, <laughs> like less than 10 pounds delivered from china and this includes a laser um it includes a a, re, a receiver a receptor to 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 um intercept the, uh, the the signal from the laser the light light beams and that um and the idea is that you 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 put the laser on one side and you have the uh, receiver on the other and you do the shutter and you can uh work out just how fast the shutter is Mm. which I think is absolutely fantastic because mm. uh, when you're using old uh, shutters, uh, such as I'm doing at this moment, I'm using vintage, I think the youngest shutter that I have on any of my large format lenses is, is probably around about 70 years old. So it's a case of you, you don't really know uh, what the shutter speeds are. And I've actually had one of my, one of my shutters tested properly. And I, and I know that it's just under a third of a stop out at, at, at the slower speeds, um, which is, you know, it's useful to know that information because you can just adjust the aperture um, accordingly. Um, but it's good to know what the shutter speed is on every single speed. And I think I was, and when I realised you could do this, I was thinking, well, that's not just useful for me on my large format, but it's also useful for you know if you if you've got you know a normal camera and you're thinking, you know, is it was the exposure wrong on this? Is you know, on it's because some cameras can can be a bit dodgy at certain speeds, especially slow speeds. And this is a, a way of confirming uh, that you actually have a problem there, which you can either potentially do something about it or you just avoid those shutter speeds. So, um, yeah, cool. I'm looking forward to putting those bits together. You know, on this large format thing, you know, all joking aside, um. I, I wanted to listen to a podcast this morning while I was taking a short drive, and, and I listened to the for the first time to a, the film photography podcast, which I've never listened to before, and they've been around for quite a long time. And uh, this is episode two thirteen, and it's about large format shooting, eight by ten, and and that size. And you you might really like it. I didn't really know what they were talking about because they're talking about glass plates, but I listened to it, and and I think that. Um, the person who was speaking was an interesting person to listen to, which was the difference. Why well, I didn't tune out, like I do when you're your thing about large format. You, and tune, so, out, um, you tune out when I talk about it. <laughs> so, so, um, so, so anyway, uh, I don't know about plugging another podcast, but we've never talked about the film photography podcast, and yet they're in two, episode two thirteen. Well, they and the, it's pretty they're good. The, they're the daddy. They're the right. yeah, yeah. They're the grand. They're the. The, the yeah. granddad of it all and i can tell why i mean i really like it and i'm going to listen to some more so good for them all right 
So um, let's do the next one. Um, this next one is from Nigel Cliff, um, another another uh, regular, and Nigel wants to know about Olympus, and he said, listening to this week's show, and now he sent us this on December twenty sixth, so that that would have been earlier earlier than that by I don't know how many days. Listening to this week's show and the best selling adapters, I was surprised that initially, no mention was made of Olympus lenses. Zucos were always renowned for their quality, and as they are usually smaller than their 35mm counterparts, I would have thought they would appeal especially to those shooting rangefinder-style mirrorless cameras. And the fact that they are generally cheaper than the rangefinder lenses um, that are also small and well-balanced in such bodies. I must admit, I've never heard of or experienced the fungus problems on any of the Zucos I've ever owned. All the best, great Joe Nigel. And he's, so he's really fortunate that he's not experienced the fungus thing, but maybe he's never had a silver nose, because I think those are the ones that, that usually have it, and it's usually the silver nose 50s. And um, and so I've, um, I'm just going to say, I want to say a couple things, and then you guys go ahead and chime in. Um, I have an XE2, and, and I've had Olympus lenses, and I've put them on my XE2, and I still think they're a little bit, on the larger size of what I like on an XE2. And so on an XE2, I like to use Olympus pen lenses, which we've not talked about at all, really. Um, well, I was going to say, on size-wise, size uh, you, you know, uh, an Olympus lens size-for-size size compared to uh, one from another manufacturer, they, they do tend to be smaller. Um, mm -hmm. So, it, yes, they might be a little bit too heavy for you on 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 that Fuji, but I would imagine that, you know, a similar lens of similar focal length on full as a full frame lens is probably going to be heavier or bulkier. Um, actually that's, that's one of the things that certainly the, the Zuko lenses are really well made, um, very well put together. And, and even though they're smaller, a lot of them can actually be heavier, uh, than, than the other brands of lenses. So, um, but, but going back to, uh, the the point where uh, we were talking about uh, adapters, but this is going back to when I was asked the question about which adapters are the most popular, and mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned that uh, Nikon and Canon FD were were the were the two most popular, um, and I I can't remember if I actually then uh, mentioned Olympus OM, and it might have been just one of those things where um, I forgot to put it in uh, because, and that's something that happens uh, quite regularly. Uh, on these podcasts and it affects all, all three of us um, because we'll be talking about a subject and then we'll move away from it then somebody will write in and say why didn't you mention this and they're thinking uh <laughs> yeah yeah we should have mentioned it and uh and and, and we didn't um or we didn't mention it enough but that's just the the nature of these things because there's just so much uh so many things out there that we could actually talk about that there's only ever enough time to talk about them or they just slip out of our, our tiny little minds <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Carl. Okay. Well, yeah. No, I'm still here. I'm just. Are you done? Yeah. Yeah. That would, <laughs> oh, okay. That, that, that'll be the silence no, at the end of my well, sentence. Right. So. No, I, I. I mean, um, <laughs> the the Zuko lenses definitely are the OM lenses are are, are a nice size compared to Nikors, for example. And the Nikors, I, I love Nikors for image quality, and in fact, I don't have any um, OM lenses anymore except for the. Um, 53.5 macro and uh, 180 uh, 2.8 but um, but I think all of my others are gone and the reason is that um, in, in a comparison 
shooting images, I really like the image quality of of my um, of my Nikkor um, AI or AIS lenses on the Sony, and and um, I don't use them on the Fuji, but on the Fuji too. So I've amassed a pretty good collection of Nikkor lenses, and those are the main the main ones that I shoot um, in lieu, in lieu of the uh, Olympus lenses. But they're 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 really good, and the the price is um, is, is a very very reasonable price too. Um, All right. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I think um, I probably own more Zuiko lenses than any other mm -hmm. single type uh, because I, two of the systems I use extensively are based on that. I, you know, on um, my, in 35 millimeter SLR, my go-to is the um, OM2. So I have lenses for that. And then I use those lenses also on my Olympus Pen F. Um, and they're great because they are small. Um, they are, they do tend to be significantly smaller than, you know, comparative Canon, Nikon, you know, Pentax lenses, not so much Pentax, especially Pentax K, but certainly Canon and Nikon. Um, so I, I use them a lot and on a couple different systems, I, you know, I don't really shoot them digital at all, so I can't really speak to that part. Um, but on the film systems I use, they're, they're really excellent and it's, it's really not a mistake that, uh, or a coincidence or whatever. I think that when the OM2 came out, a lot of um, folks who shot uh, Leica migrated to the OM as a uh, essentially a, a SLR version of uh, of their Leica. Um, and the lenses are small, and the lenses are very high quality. So, to me. I, that that's the system I've settled on for 35 millimeter SLR for the most part, because I think it's the best in terms of quality um, to performance, you know, quality, price, performance, etc. Um, and I just like the OM system better than all the other SLR systems. But um, I will say I I don't see a lot of lenses. Don't see a lot of lenses with fungus in Chicago. I mean, a few. I shouldn't say that. I see plenty, but. Um, I would say the OMs are somewhat prone to it. I've seen quite a few that are fungused up. So it's interesting this quality um, per price thing because um, there, there's a related thing, and that is um, having a whole bunch of lenses as opposed to having just a few lenses that are really good. And um, I mean, at one point, I had 80 lenses, I think, and and now I think I, I look counted the other day, and I only have, I have I don't have, I don't even have 30 lenses anymore, and and so, and, the, and they're but they're all lenses that I want to keep, and they're 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 more expensive. So on, I mean on my Sony camera right now, I have that LTM Canon 51.4 Johnny that I bought from you, and um, it blows away any other 51.4 lens that I have owned, and um, yeah, it costs a lot more, but. Um, I just have it, and I don't have mm -hmm. five other lenses that are fifty-one point four lenses to, to pick from. I'll just use I'll just use it, and so there's that too. Um, how many do you need to have as opposed to just right. having having right. Enough, you know one or two that are really good in each focal length? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm and I'm done well, with that too. I I mean I've I've tried to really pare down, or I'm kind of in the process of paring down, you know what I'm keeping and what I'm using, and really I mean for. SLR shooting, I'm it's it's kind of Olympus and Minolta, and everything else can pretty much go as far as I'm concerned. And then 
you know, it's LTM on the rangefinder side. So yeah, like the Canon 35 LTM. It's, yeah. Um, whether yeah. we have a so let's say I have a two point uh, eight, you have a two, and my brother has a one point eight, which I don't know anything about. Yeah, I've never tried it out. I'll, when I go up there, I'll try his one point eight. Cool. See whether yeah. it's any good. But um, I presume it's an okay, a good lens too, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so, um, but the, they're all. They're, I mean, they're all over three hundred dollars. And but um, but again, uh, I think everyone ought to, if they're able to, and and have a APS-C sensor or a micro four thirds, get and try a pen forty one point four, and you might. And I bet you you'll think it's one of the best lenses that you've ever had, and you'll never yeah. sell it. That's just that's an amazing lens. That's the one. That's probably the one lens I'd keep if I had to keep one lens and run out of the house with one lens in my pocket. <laughs> and, and bring my Fuji camera with me. Okay, so um, let's go on to the next one from Robin uh, Banbarad. Okay, and I hope. Hold on. Hmm? <laughs> hmm? No, go ahead. I I, yeah, I, sh I I shouldn't stop you from butchering names. Go ahead. I I know. Say it. Say it. Say it. No, I know I, I know Rollin pretty well. I, I, we talk a lot. I've sent him some things from the shop. So we, we how, talk quite a bit, but no, we, go ahead. How, how should we pronounce is it? Is no, it, you're doing, is, you're doing just fine, Carl. Don't is it a me. silent V at the end of his name? Is it, is it, is it, is it, is it <laughs> What the f***? You're not going to help me out. No, you're doing great. Yeah, he pronounces his name. So you can make it. You're doing great. <laughs> okay. All right. It's all right. Here we go. All right. Um, <laughs> good. All right. If Hamish Gill is not on the Sunny 16 podcast, then Classic Lenses podcast is my favorite listen each week. Jeez. Okay. Is that, was that, is that okay? Right. I don't know how to take that. Um, I give you five stars on iTunes, but I fled the Apple Sphere long ago. I don't know, but this famous Gill is not on the podcast. That's good. Um, thank you for your work you do to make this informative and entertaining show happen. I especially enjoy Simon's British compliments. The dish out the smackdown in such a civilized way. <laughs> I appreciate. I like them too. Um, yes. A couple questions for you, three wise men. Uh, first, how do you find the quality of different manufacturers' lenses adapters? Well, we and we we did that um, uh, earlier. Um, on one snobby no, I, forum, I don't. I don't think we actually did the quality. Didn't we? Oh, okay, no, good. No, All right. No. Well, okay. KNF by KNF. Um, on one snobby forum or Facebook group, I read someone claiming that cheap ones cannot achieve infinity. Have you experienced such? How do you rate the usability of adapters from Kiwi, Folkgug, Globe, Photodiox, Kipon, NovaFlex, CameraQuest, and other brands? And of course, KNF Concept. Then, would you say lens coatings on glass reached close to the modern level for cutting flare, higher contrast, and other qualities? Okay. Um, your last show was very good and got me to thinking about LTM lenses for film documentary work. So not interested in busy or swirly out of focus rendering or super shallow depth of field. If you have not answered in a Facebook group already, what is your favorite or your best small 25, 35 and 50 millimeter LTM lenses? Keep up the good work. We're Roll Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take the first part of this. Um, on adapters um, and uh, for transparency uh, purposes I sell KNF adapters uh, on my website um, 
and on my eBay page, uh, if you do a sell search for It's Fozzy, I-T-S-F-O-Z-Z-Y on eBay, you'll find me and you can buy lots of KNF adapters off me. Uh, or my website, which is simonforcethephotographic.co.uk. Um, so putting that to one side, um, lens adapters, they've ultimately, they're, they are simple things. Um, they're there to uh, place your lens at the correct distance from the camera. Um, uh, and make the aperture ring uh, functional. Um, and that's large, largely it. Um, you do get a situation, and, and this is certainly the case back in the in the earlier days where quality um, was was variable. And I've certainly bought adapters that did not do what they which what I expected them to do. And uh, certainly some of the problematic ones were when we just been talking about Olympus lenses. Um, I've had lots of problem adapters with uh, for for Olympus. That seems to be one of the trickier uh, brands to get the adapters right for, but. Um, I mean, I haven't bought adapters from these these other brands now for some time, um, but I would expect and hope that most of these brands now have have, have got things right. I mean, I I got involved with uh, KNF Concept as a customer um, simply because when I've had my A7 Mark II, um, the mount on that is of a different tolerance from the the previous one. So you would think that you would go out and buy yourself a, a an E mount, a next amount mount. Adapter, and it would just work on your A7 Mark II, and unfortunately, it didn't because of this change uh, that Sony made to to the mount, where they they, they basically made it better. Um, so uh, KNF Concept would just happen to be the company that um, were producing adapters that that fitted. Now, I've actually subsequently found out that some of the older KNF adapters were having exactly the same problems as these these other brands. So it wasn't just a matter of the KNF concept just got things right straight away. They they just seemed to be uh, quicker to uh, change to the slightly different format. And I'm pretty sure now that you know just about any adapter that's produced now should actually fit uh, the, the new format. Um, you do get differences in quality with 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 some brands over others. Um, you can, but it, that's not to say that an adapter that you can buy from China for, you know, a very small amount of money isn't going to work. Because once once an adapter once they've got a design that works, it works. It's as simple as that. Uh, the thing about going with a brand is you you know generally what the, the overall quality is going to be so you, you know what you're going to expect so and I think it's fair to say the more expensive an adapter the, the the higher the expectation is going to be that that adapter is going to work for you but ultimately as I say these things are simple things and if a, if somebody is, is doing well with a uh, a cheap adapter and it's working perfectly for them well that that's great you know so uh, it's it's not quite as simple as you pays your money and you take your chances but it's it's yeah, it it can work that way. So I think it's a, a good another good way of looking at it is just how large is the range that uh, one manufacturer is actually selling as well. So you can you can tell just how serious a, a, a company is if they if they do a large range rather than just concentrating on the on the uh, the ones that sell the most. So uh, so that's my my general thoughts on adapters. And, and I've had some um, mixed experiences that that don't indicate a consistent pattern. I probably between um, having an Olympus Micro Four Thirds and then a Fuji, and then having a Sony, I don't God, I, I don't know how many adapters I've had over fifty, definitely, maybe sixty or seventy, and um, 
there have been a couple, and they interesting. They were both around Minolta MD adapters, where the the screws on the front plate came loose, and uh, it, uh, the lens almost got stuck on the adapter, and um, and and but maybe it was just a quirk, you know, that it happened. So I, with those adapters, I had to be really careful and keep the screws in all the time. I've never had a problem with any K and F adapter. Um, I can say that about that. And then I had an odd thing with a. Um, so my uh, Jupiter 11 has a contacts outer bayonet mount, and I bought three different um, cheap adapters and could not get it to mount on any of them. And even did a, a Skype with uh, Derek Steed in England uh, to try to get him to help. And finally, um, I had to buy a Kippon adapter, and um, it was it was expensive. It was $98, and th the quality was, was really impressive because it was like one solid block of black metal. It didn't have a plate on the front. It was just one piece. Um, and I got it to work, but I had to take a knife and carve off a little bit of, of the metal on the inside in order to make that one work, too. But um, so those things, you know, that, that's, that's the only time I've ever had a really expensive adapter, and it looked like it was great. But I've, I've not ever had a problem with, uh, and this, I'm not saying this because Simon sells them. I have K&F adapters now on almost every, um, for every lens that I use. And um, they're dependable. And then uh, for, for for helicoid adapters, I think there is a difference. And we've we've talked about this before. And I, I try to buy Yenon, Y-E-E-N-O-N, uh, helicoid adapters, um, and 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 they have a nice dampening. And, and I, th I think they're they're you know good quality. And, and I've had cheaper ones that have literally fallen apart. Yeah. Um. And actually, yeah. I, I just thought I'd just mention one other thing, and that's. Uh, um, adapters have, have produced, uh, produced in batches and sometimes you can get differences in, in the tolerances between them because ultimately when somebody's paying you know, £20, $20 for an adapter you know, think, well, you know, they might think well that's, you know, that, that's a, of, of a certain price well you look at this and you look at the actual engineering that's gone in, into one of these things £20 for an adapter is a very small amount of money um, so you know, the quality control um, generally, is going is going to be good, especially when you when these people are making you know thousands. But you know things can go wrong, and and you're talking about very very small margins. Yeah, so it is possible for a, an adapter, just about any brand, and I'll include a K and F concept in that. So sometimes that some things can go wrong. I'm glad to say that you know the 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 amount I do I have had problems uh, with adapters that i sell but in terms of a percentage it's tiny um but it's it's not i don't think it'd be fair to say that um any adapter uh, almost any adapter is going to be is going to be perfect because you know the numbers that we're talking about here are enormous that are going out and i i spoke to a company relatively recently just uh, um when they actually made an adapter for me for my large format lens and i and i I just, I just happened to have one of my adapters with me one of the uh i think it was a not sure if it wasn't an M42. It was a for some kind of bayonet lens, and I asked them, you know, how much would it cost you to make one of these things for me? And they came back and said, oh, about seventy pounds. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. so it just puts things into into context. There, you know, mm -hmm. you, you you get what you pay for, and yes, and if you mm -hmm. if you do pay a lot of money, and you get somebody that's uh, you know testing every every part of it, all the engineering and so on, then it's going to cost a, a lot more than these these adapters that we're get, we're getting from China at the moment. Yeah, and that's what Novaflex is kind of famous for. They've been making stuff since. Uh, I'm just I'm. I'm thinking Novaflex, I could be totally wrong here, but at least since the 1950s. Um, 
and they've been making adapters a long time and they made them for you know film cameras back in the day which was a big no-no everybody you know adapting lenses between film cameras was kind of a everybody looks sideways at that uh, but nova flex makes great stuff I, I the only completely non-problematic m42 adapter i've ever had was a nova flex that will mount everything um yeah. so but i mean you they're really expensive so yeah. it, it's you do i think you do get what you pay for um i in fairness i've never had a knf adapter but i i'm also just not doing digital lens adapting hardly at all so uh but when i was the nova flex was kind of the gold standard just because they're yeah. you know they they've been doing it a long time they know what they're doing and they're expensive <laughs> so and, and camera quest i don't know why he listed that i don't know that they well, they, they, do they? they don't make them, but they, they resell them. So camera quest, um, they carry the, uh, uh, they, they're a distributor for the, um, Amadeo adapter. So the, um, okay. yes, yeah, to adapt, uh, contacts lenses to various mounts. Okay. So they do, they yeah. do carry that one. I think that's probably why he included camera quest in there. Okay. And that's a good, and that's a really well-made adapter. Those okay. are, yeah, that's another okay. kind of gold, gold, gold standard. Yeah. So, so I don't know about the second question because um, it's asking about something that I don't I don't know that many people um, are, are looking to get when they buy classic lenses. They're actually looking to get lenses that that, that don't um, do these things. So when did coatings reach a point where they reduced flare, had better contrast, and other qualities? So like when did um, classic lenses get to be like modern lenses? Um, yeah. I, I I don't know. I I I, I would. I would venture to say to put out there, um, depending on how you look at it, I, I would say around 1970. And Nikon, of course, is going to try to take credit for this. And maybe we can talk about this with uh, Bob next week. Um, but I, I think Pentax with the super multi-coating, they were really kind of the ones right around 1970, maybe a little bit before, um, who they really kind of stirred the industry up as far as coatings go. And then everybody was trying to, you know, come up with new ways to, to talk about how they were coating their lenses. And so it became like a, a, a real um, a battle between all the makers, especially, you know, the Japanese makers about who was coating lenses the best and how they went about it and how many layers and, you know, and it's still going on. But I mean, to, to me, that is kind of the era where lenses really started to get truly modern, coatings to them i mean lens coating stuff had been around for a long time famously i mean zeiss was coating stuff before the second world war and all that um but i think by the time you get to 1970 ish um there's just so much competition between the camera makers and it was a way for them to to really try to set themselves apart so i think lens coating got really really good in that era and that's when we start to see lenses that are at least as good, if not better, than lenses that are coming out now. I, I would say that exception to that is going to be zoom lenses. Um, I think zoom lenses in the 70s were still, a lot of them, really iffy. And I yeah. think that's kind of the, the place where we're at now is coatings have gotten so good that you can you can make these you know lenses with a ridiculous amount of elements in them and get really good results. And so I, so I think... For prime lenses, I think stuff from the late '60s, '70s onward, that stuff has really, really good coatings. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think looking at stuff from that, era, and if you think about it, a lot of the lenses that we 
regard most highly are from that era. I mean, like, you know, an SMC Takmar, things like that. A lot of the Nikors, you know, the AIS stuff. Yep. That's that's when it's from, and it's no accident. So, Okay. Good. So then the last question was about um, what what is your favorite or think is the best small 28, 35, and 50 millimeter LTM lenses? And um, we can just maybe talk from experience, but Johnny, you probably have more, more than I do. I mean, well, Leica's probably are the best, but we can't. I can't afford those. And so I have Canons, and I, and I really like those. And um, maybe Johnny, you can I I I'm just going to put out, I don't think Leica makes the best LTM lenses. I mean, the okay. M stuff later, but I think the LTM lenses, I think Canon and Nikon beat them out um, in the 50s on that stuff because they were, I mean, they. you figure they switched to M mount really by early the early, early 1950s. And um, Canon was still making screw mount stuff till, you know, 1970-ish. Yeah. Um, and Nikon was making lenses for the, that mount. So I think that Canons and the Nikons are, are really better than a lot of the Leica stuff from that era. And certainly they hold up a lot better. I mean, LTM lenses from the, you know, forties and fifties, they're almost universally hazed up and very problematic. So yeah. I, that would be my vote is probably any, you know, Canon Nikon stuff. But I mean, then you've got other stuff too. I mean, there were a lot of smaller manufacturers in Japan that were um, making really, really great stuff. So yep. it's, there's a lot of really Im- remarkable lenses out there in LTM mount. And some Voigtlander. Yeah, sure. The modern stuff, right? The Voigtlanders. I mean, they just have a really different look. I think they have a, they look so modern. I mean, they, they're so uh, just like crisp and contrasty they're just have to me they have a really different look than the classic yeah. stuff does yeah not in not necessarily in a bad way but they look you know they just look really different okay um well we've we finally got through the emails uh, that we've been promising for a while um i hope uh, we've well i think we've done our best to answer the questions not sure if we've uh, uh completely covered off everything in there but um actually that's the point we've got Next week, uh, uh, Johnny, you've already name checked him by saying Bob. Um, I think we can actually give a. Should we say? Should we give his full name, uh, Johnny? Nah, let's let people wait. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so uh, well, we- they'll have, they'll have to check in in the on the pages and all that. Social media to see what what's yeah, going on. Yeah, okay, and it, and it's not and it's not it's just it's not just Bob as well. We've got a Mike as well, haven't we? Mike and a Bob. That's right. Mike and Bob next week. So um, yeah, I think we'll be able to answer some of the uh, the, the more camera uh, related questions there. Um, okay, let's uh, move things on uh, because we're coming closer towards the end the end of uh, the the show now. And uh, uh, and as we said before, uh, this is our first anniversary episode and uh we've decided that we we want to do something uh reasonably special for it and uh, it is episode 50 and i think it's appropriate that we give a lens away and we're going to give a 50 millimeter lens away and we've been trying to work out how we're actually going to do this 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 giveaway because we've decided we wanted to give a lens away now for quite some time and we've been going to and fro over over the method of um how how this lens could be worn and initially we're there thinking well it could be a photo competition and uh, and so on and but you know the the three of us have, have listened to e- enough of the sunny 16 podcast and the cheap shot cheap shot challenge and even having johnny on there judging for 
for it to realize that perhaps we don't want to have a photo competition or inflict it upon our our our, our listeners um so we're going to do something different and uh what we're going to do, uh, we're going to invite you to tell me what this lens is that I have. Um, and by the way, at this moment in time, uh, Carl and uh, Johnny have not actually managed to guess the lens that I've got here. Um, so uh, they, were, I haven't tried to guess yet. No, I, 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 that was that was no, that was notable, notable. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm going to give uh, give you all some clues, and then, uh, by the way, uh, you, you you may actually. Uh, enter Carl and Johnny, but you're not allowed to win it. So, um, but the um, this lens, it's as I was saying there, it's episode fifty, and we're going to give a fifty millimeter lens away. Um, and it's an unusual lens, um, and I say unusual, just actually unusual is probably not the right word. Certainly un uncommon. Um, it, if you go on to photography with classic lenses, the Facebook group. Um, not that you know what to type in, but I think there's only two, maybe three users in the last four years that have posted pictures with this lens. So it's, it is an uncommon lens. Uh, it's M42. And the only other clue that I'm going to give uh, is that this lens has two numbers in its title, in its name. Um, and uh, those two numbers have got absolutely nothing to do with the focal length. Um, so in other words, it's not 50 and it has nothing to do with the aperture of the lens either. And what I'd like uh, people to do, if you wish to win this lens, is to send an email to classiclensespodcast at gmail.co.uk and just put in the title there, Lens Competition, so it can be easier for, for me to pick out your answers. And just tell me what you think this lens is. Now, <laughs> there's going to be more than one lens out there that's got two numbers in the title has had nothing to do with the focal length and nothing to do with the aperture. So what I'm going to do is say that you can give more than one guess as to what this lens is. So we're not going to, I'm not going to limit you to, uh, to one answer and that's it. So if you, if you say it's a certain lens and it's not, um, tough, well, you can have more than one go at this. So, uh, so, that's largely it. I've already put a photograph up, uh, or sorry, several photographs up in the Facebook group of uh, some shots I've taken with this lens wide open, um, which immediately you'll be able to tell that it is not a Tessar <laughs> because uh, yeah, the, it renders uh, it renders nowhere near as good as a Tessar. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, you can tell that you know for a 50 millimeter lens um, the, and the distance I was away from the subject that a, an f2.8 lens could not have produced uh, those kind of images so that's another clue for you there uh, well two, two more clues it's not a Tessar lens and it's faster than f2.8 as well so um, yeah so that's it so please uh, put some uh, emails to me and Assuming that we actually get some correct answers, uh, we'll we'll pull the, a name out of the hat next week, and we'll get uh, one of our two guests perhaps to uh, pull the name out of the hat. If we haven't got any correct answers by next week, then I might just give another clue, and we'll roll it into the next. So eventually, yeah. we'll uh, get some answers, and I, and I think that I want at least two people with a correct answer. Um, so uh, so yeah. So good luck on that and uh, and send your guesses to classic lenses podcast at gmail.co.uk. So gmail.com. And uh, again, put in the title lens competition. Okay. 
Um, so, finally, have we got any shout-outs? Oh, sure, I have one. I, w- I want to do a shout-out to Johnny. <laughs> and, and it's two parts. One, sorry that um, in a trade we made, I um, sent you a, 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 a screwed-up Canon P camera. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't no, I, even going to go had, there, I had, Carl. I, I had what that. I thought was a beautiful Canon P camera, <laughs> and and it is. And someone just bought it actually last it night. Is. It is in fact I, a beautiful camera. If you're someone like me who shoots um, at speeds from a you know one fiftieth of a second up to a thousandth of a second, it's perfect. But um, sure enough, um, I when I traded it uh, uh, with a lens to Johnny for a beautiful. Um, LTM 51.4 worm-free flawless lens um, that's sitting on my Sony right now. Um, he contacted me back with a video showing me how um, at um, shutter speeds down and uh, you know that's so slow that I don't know who shoots rangefinders that slow. But Johnny <laughs> that slow, you know, with one, half of a second and a quarter of a second and eighth that. Um, it's like a half. I don't know two-thirds frame camera that the shutter <laughs> stops. <laughs> And then goes, so it drags more than shutter dragging. <laughs> and anyway, um, sorry about that. And um, we made that all good. And I'm really happy now. Johnny's happy, I hope. And uh, Oh, yeah. Everything uh, worked out great. No, it was me, fine. He sold me this lens for a very, very fair price. And it's just it's just beautiful. It's Carl, beautiful. you had to have that lens. I, I had mean, to have a, a good you, one. You, you had oh. to finally have a good one. And the and worm it, lens is yeah, gone. And it has a new owner. And, uh, yeah. and that person's happy with it. They know what the issues are with it. And... and um, and so everything's good. No yeah. more talk about worm lenses or mom jeans or any of that <laughs> stuff. It's all gone. No, now we talk about manly dad shorts. That's the new thing. Because Carl looks Man- smoking hot in some manly dad shorts. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, God. Is that what? <laughs> oh, my. I have to look back at that acronym. Is, is that part of it? <laughs> Yeah. SMS is all I have to say about that. <laughs> SMS. Indeed. <laughs> oh, I, I have a real quick shout out. Um uh I could do several, I guess, but I I, I saw so um uh oh geez, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna space out because I'm like half sick still. Um but I saw it's gonna come to me in a second here. <laughs> I saw a lot of people this week, okay? It was a short week. Not feeling great. <laughs> I saw okay, so I saw uh, Mr. Devlin Cook. I saw Devlin. Was it yesterday? Day before. And Devlin, we've mentioned before, um, pilot street photographer. Um, that was two things: pilot slash street photographer. Um, and Devlin was uh, grabbing a few more things to finish up uh, uh, putting his darkroom together. Um, and he is going to be on at a future date. So we, we chatted about that while he was at Central Camera, and we're going to get him on to talk about his life as a pilot slash street photographer and world traveler. <coughs> so there you go. Shout out. Cool. Okay, well, I've, and I've got one, uh, one shout out, and that's to Nigel Stanley, who's doing uh, the first uh, Classic Lenses photo walk. Um, and that's on January the 20th uh, this month. Uh, of course, it is, Jan- it is January, so yes, it would be. Um, 
and that's going to be at Liverpool Street Station, or at least starting at Liverpool Street Street Station in London at 11am. Um, I hope that goes well for you, Nigel. I think uh, Gazer's going along to that one. And oh, great. I would, have, cool. I would have loved to have uh, been yeah. able to have gone to that one, but that's just not going to happen for me. So, uh, But that's uh, it's it's great that that's happened, though, because um, that this uh this photo walk came as a, a result of the you know, I, I mentioned a, a few podcasts back about you know let's try and get together and, and do some photo walks and this is the first one that's happening so that's uh that that's great news that is so uh, hopefully all there'll be a few more and uh and and hopefully there'll be uh something that, that comes along that i will be able to attend as well so um get more details on that if you go on to the photowalk.me website if you just do a search for photowalk.me and uh, you'll be able to find the details of Nigel Stanley's uh, classic lenses photo walk um, so January the 20th um, so uh, rounding things off we've had uh, quite a few donations on uh, coffee uh, uh, which is um, absolutely fantastic I'm just going to uh, read out what we got uh, the first one uh, is from uh, Bill Pavetta um, interesting enough, Bill Pavetta is going to be very disappointed this week now because um, he knew that we were going to have uh, Matthew Duclos on and, uh, and unfortunately we weren't able to do that but he was particularly looking forward to that one because Bill, Bill is a uh, filmmaker himself and he uses classic lenses and he will be a future guest on the show as well um, So uh, um, and he has written uh, Happy New Year, looking forward to 2019 and more informative and in brackets entertaining uh, discussions um, from the gang at the Classic Lenses podcast. So uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, then TL um, has uh, donated to us and he says, thank you guys for the hard work, time and enthusiasm you've all put into this group and podcast. Uh, keep up the good work and have a fantastic 2019. Um, thank you, TL. Uh, Andy Clement, uh, he says, Happy New Year. I'm looking forward to what you have planned for 2019. And so are we. Uh, thank you, Andy. Uh, Nigel Cliff uh, goes without saying, another cracking show. Well, thank you again, Nigel. A regular contributor to who is there. Um, and talking about regular contributors, uh, Lawrence Dunn um, did it again. Um, and he's uh, he's actually got something set up. So he, he makes a, a donation to us once a month, which is... Um, you know, Pretty amazing, frankly. Uh, and then finally, uh, Christopher J. May, um, who we, we mentioned last week, um, said uh, three coffees for three podcasters that make my Monday a little easier to handle. And uh, and uh, Christopher famously is the uh, the, the person that uh, Johnny sold a very dubious looking lens to. Dubious? Come on now. <laughs> he loves it. You love it, don't you, Christopher? He loves it. And that flashlight that car that Simon bought for you is in no, the mail. No, 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 no. Please do not look up flashlight. Whatever you do, and if you do, make sure there's nobody around. If you do, um, oh, did you, know, did you notice on the um, the poll that I put up about um, during 2018, what lens um, do you think is the absolute best one based on you took a picture and when you looked at it on your computer, it was like a wow experience. It was just so good. And that the Helios 44 was the lens. That's shocking. It's real shocking. It's not shocking at all. It's, it's real shocking. No. no. Really? It's <laughs> shocking. The, 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 the Helios 44 is the ultimate gateway lens. You know, so, I'm talking about wow, not gateway. 
yeah, but it, but it is though. Yeah, you know, if you if you if somebody that um, is not used to uh, classic lenses and they 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 show an interest and they think, it. well, is is there a lens that is not it's not too expensive that will just do something interesting for me? Um, certainly, if you're in Europe, it might be it's a little bit different in the states, of course. But if you're in Europe, where you know the the, the streets are cobbled in the Helios forty four lenses, you just right. pick, you just pick right. one up from under a bin or something and give them to them and people just go wow because it absolutely does something different it might you know it might not suit everybody's taste and it, it might be something that you know you transition away from but in terms of you know a a lens to give somebody for their their first experience i think it's a it's a it's a great lens and therefore it's wholly understandable that it's a lens that people have been wowed by yeah. That's my view. Sound logic. I mean, my my recommendation logic. for our first lens is an auto, an old auto Takamar 55 1.8 or a 2 or a 2.2 with that cocking lever. It, much, it, much, a much more interesting lens. Yeah. Well, and the, and the, the model just up from that, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a bit of an unusual lens to find anywhere, but the model just ahead of that, the auto Takamars, I mean, oh, yeah, they're $45. I know. Well, but a lot of it depends on where where in the world you are. I mean, the, the Helios lenses are not common to find run across in the U.S. because you know Cold War. But yeah. elsewhere in the world, they're all over the place. There are millions of them. But for yeah. us, it's going to be over here. It's going to be like the Takamar, the you know the fifty five one eight is this is the same kind of deal. Easy to easy to find and cheap and really good. But they rent the, between the two. They just render so differently. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, two great gateway lenses, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Johnny, let's uh, let's finish things off. Um, how can people follow you out outside of this podcast? <laughs> uh, uh, you can find me. I'm going to try to get this in before my voice dies. Uh, you can find me at um, uh, Sisson Photography on uh, Instagram. I post try to post there most days. Got a little catch up to do. You can find me at Central Camera Company in Chicago. I am there most days. Um, and you can, uh, so one of you guys has to do the Instagram. I can't do it. I'm, my voice is good. I'll, I'll do it. Okay. Thank you. I'm Carl. Oh, you can find me on Instagram at, um, Carl underscore Havens on Flickr by my name, Carl Havens. And then our photography with classic lenses, Facebook page. And uh, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Simon Four. That's S I M O N F O R. Uh, I've you mentioned it. I have a website which is Simon Forster Photographic. Sorry, yeah, Simon Forster Photographic You can do a seller search for me on eBay uh, for It's Fozzy at I T S F O Z Z Y. Um, the music that we use is by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com and we uh, use his Octo Blues, which I think is a great piece of music and I really like it. Um, and uh, finally, as uh, uh, Carl just mentioned there, uh, not sorry, Johnny just mentioned there, um, if you want to tag any photographs via Instagram, then a great way to do that, or the way that we suggest that you, you do that, is by using the hashtag best vintage lens, um, because then you'll have a chance of getting featured on their feed, which is very, very popular. Um, so um, with that, it's time to say goodbye. Um, again, uh, you can find us all on the, the Facebook group, Facebook 
Facebook group, Photography with Classic Lenses. And also, that's a good point. Um, I'm saying it's a good point. It's just one that's just come into my head. Um, is that um, <laughs> we're on... Yeah, we, we have a thread on mflenses.com and if you go onto that site and then go into the forums and uh, the forums in particular is manual focused lenses um, you'll see the the regular post that i put up there and there's another post on there uh, regarding uh, what we were going to be talking about this week which unfortunately hasn't hasn't happened so uh, those people on 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 there that have uh, supplied some questions and also uh, provided some very interesting information on the Zeiss Planar 50mm f0.7. Um, I urge you to go and take a look at, uh, at that thread on the mflenses.com because there's a wealth of information that has just popped up from nowhere. Um, I, I mean, it's um, yeah, it's uh, some, some really, really good knowledge on there. And if anybody that's interested in using old lenses, that's an amazing resource anyway. So uh, do check out mflenses.com. Um, so that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's show. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>